The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, March 18th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, Dr. James Jeffrey Bradstreet, whom I've also referred to as Renaissance Man of Autism Medicine. Today you will hear about many cutting-edge modalities from Dr. Bradstreet, who is widely published on the various aspects of autism-related biology and comorbidities. He received his medical degree from University of South Florida and is an adjunct professor of pediatrics at Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. A practicing clinician and published researcher, Dr. Bradstreet is licensed in Georgia, Florida, California, and Arizona. His own son and stepson who have autism have experienced significant recovery using intensive biomedical interventions. During the breaks, you can visit his very informative website, www. Dr. Bradstreet, that's drbradstreet.org, and his Bradstreet Wellness Center website at www.drbradstreet.com. Welcome, Dr. Bradstreet. Hey, Terry, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Dr. Bradstreet, you do a good job of tying together different systems of the body. What are pre- and postnatal factors that contribute to the development of autism, and how is the immune system involved? Well, I think as the research is coming together, the immune system really is the nexus of what intersects the gut, the brain, and the peripheral immune system. When you look at the incidence of autism over the last two to three decades, there's only a few things that can really explain the dramatic rise of autism. And the thing that looks most appealing, while there's certain toxicological factors, is changes in the immune system. We've been beating up on the GI tract with antibiotics. We've been changing our food supply. Um, we've you know, been fairly cavalier about how we provoke the immune system with uh, the adjuncts that are added to our vaccines. The consequence of all that seems to be an immune system starting in the womb that is primed to misbehave itself after the child uh, goes through the first two to three years of development. The consequence of all of that is the glial cells, which are the immune system um, cells that live in the brain, get different signals than what they used to. And it appears that if you look at the academics from like the Mind Institute at the University of California in Davis, um, our researchers in Italy, other researchers from different universities, we get this a very consistent view of dysregulation of the immune system. And I'd like to say inflammation, but I think that's not quite accurate enough. It's just, it's just not properly regulating. And what most people didn't realize, and most doctors didn't realize until recently, is the immune system actually runs 
the developmental process of the brain. So as cells are migrating and, and going to their final resting place within the brain to set up certain centers that are going to control language or vision or cognition, the immune system of the brain, which are the glial cells, are actually orchestrating that. If we change their responsiveness, we're going to change the way things operate. And I think that's really what's going on. That was a very eloquent explanation, Dr. Bradstreet, and you were talking um, about the fact that the glial cells were getting different signals than they used to, so they're getting disinformation that causes dysregulation. Is that a good summary? Yeah, they're actually, the, the glial cells um, need to be very properly orchestrated and timed with their developmental process. And if their signals are set off because of, you know, mom's immune system, mom's vaccine history, mom's infectious diseases, mom's exposure to toxins in the environment, that already starts the immune system of the child in the womb in a different direction than what we'd like to see it. And that's why you can see families like we now, it's, it's, was unheard of. If you go back to autism statistics from 30 and 40 years ago, it was essentially unheard of to have families with three or four kids with autism. It's relatively common now, and you have to ask yourself why. When we look in detail at the genetics, we don't have the ability to explain most of autism on the basis of understood genetics, at least not at this point in time. You've talked about um, prenatal factors. What are some postnatal factors? Well, and then let's just a little bit more about prenatal factors. If you, and this is a, a very important connection to the immune system as well and some of the other things that we'll be talking about as we go through this discussion. Vitamin D deficiency in the mother is a very well-described risk factor for the potential increase of, a, of autism in her offspring. So if mom is vitamin D deficient, then it's likely that, not likely, but, it, but she increases her risk factors dramatically for having a child with autism. So one way to reduce that, a very simple way, is just to make sure that vitamin D levels are normal during the pregnancy. That's something that any obstetrician can readily do. They're drawing blood routinely for a variety of factors during the pregnancy. They're checking for diabetes. They're looking for... Um, hypertension during the pregnancy, they're checking the urine for proteinuria, it's nothing to check for vitamin D to make sure it's in the sufficient level. So every mother who's pregnant and thinking about having babies you know, from the time of conception on needs to optimize that. And that includes during breastfeeding as well because during breastfeeding, mom's going to be the primary source of vitamin D. But we also know that children that are vitamin D deficient are at increased risk of autism themselves. So why might that be? Well, it turns out that vitamin D is a very powerful immune regulator. It is responsible for shifting the immune system away from autoimmunity towards a more balanced immune posture. So in the absence of vitamin D, you're going to be more prone to the same type of immune dysregulation that we see with autism. So that's an easy fix for everybody. Thank you. That is also uh, some very practical inf information leading us to some really practical and easy-to-do uh, intervention, Dr. Bradstreet. You've mentioned the glial cells. Can you tell us about mast cells? Sure. Well, mast cells are kind of like a bank for the immune system. They store up a lot of the chemistry that the immune system needs to fight infection and to create a, a very vigorous defense. The problem is, 
if they're um, fragile and they release that chemistry when there's no real need for a big defense, like you don't have a, a wound that you have to take care of, you don't have a foreign body stuck in your arm that needs to be you know, taken care of by the immune system, if you're not dealing with that but you release the same chemistry, we call that mast cell fragility, so that that, that that same immune chemistry that could help to defend you against an infection or to deal with some, whatever needs to be dealt with is just running around kind of willy-nilly. It causes the same type of effects, so swelling, edema, opening up of blood vessels, leaking in the GI tract, leaking in the blood-brain barrier, so that the normal regulation of both the gut and what it's trying to absorb and what it's trying to keep out is not properly regulated, and the same is true for the blood-brain barrier. The things that the brain is trying to absorb to give nutrition to the brain can't be properly regulated, and at the same time, the brain may be exposed to things from the environment that it shouldn't be exposed to. So mast cells appear to be a critical regulator of the kinds of immune dysfunction that we see in autism. Mast cells and glial cells and macrophages share many of the same receptors, and I know we're going to be talking about some of the cannabinoid receptor activity that we've been researching, but those receptors show up on all immune cells, and I think that's another important crossroad that leads us to therapeutic uh, intervention as well as where autism is coming from. Have you described, in relation to the mast cells, have you described an autoimmune state and what causes mast cells to misbehave? Well, we're not sure what causes mast cells to misbehave. Um, there's a variety of conditions that seem to be associated with that. Um, so Professor Theoretis from Tufts University in New England has been doing just amazing amounts of research on this, not just in autism, but in a variety of chronic illnesses. And whether it's chemical sensitization or lack of dietary um, regulation, mast cells seem to be much more fragile today than they were 20 years ago. Um, that explains, to a large extent, the rise of things like eczema and allergies and asthma that have all been on the rise for the last 20 years, as well as autism. So, wow. Yeah. It's, if you look at, um, you know, Ken Bach wrote an interesting book on the, the four A's, which is um, allergy, autism, um, ADHD, and um, asthma. So he, he threw all of those together, and um, it's true. We're seeing all of those are on the rise, and it, it all comes back to what we're doing wrong with immune system regulation. So um, if, we, if we can kind of look at the variables, we know that there are some things nutritionally that can stabilize the mast cell. A lot of things that are in the fatty acid um, compartment, so natural occurring healthy fatty acids like fish oil, um, things that you can get from various omegas, but fatty acids that are created by the gut bacteria help to regulate the immune system as well, and that's a very important part of our current research. And is that another reason that it's important to encourage uh, good gut health, getting the gut healthy again? You know, it's really interesting to see um, where the literature has been taking us. So the gut ecosystem has been talked about by naturopaths, by holistic doctors, by integrated physicians, um, by people that really kind of get it for probably now 20, 30 years or more. Um, just recently, mainstream medical literature is focusing in on what they call the microbiome. 
And that's a fancy word for just the constituent bacteria and organisms that live in the gut ecosystem. 50% of your entire metabolic your body actually comes from the bacteria that live in your GI tract. That's a huge contribution to your health or your lack of health. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see <clears throat> things like cardiovascular disease are tied into bad um, gut health and, and gingivitis and chronic infections. Risk of cancer seems to go up when you have bad gut health. But very clearly, there's a growing body of literature that says that if you've got a bad ecosystem and you're a child, you're at risk for developing things like ADHD and autism. And any parent who's been around a little bit with their kid and starts to understand what bad bacteria and yeast in the gut can mean to their kid's behavior knows that it can make them just absolutely crazy. They can go, they can have self-stimulatory behavior. They can laugh like they're intoxicated and been drinking at the bar. They can stay up all night and be crazy and wild and hyperactive, all because of the nature of the bacteria that, and the yeast that live in their intestinal tract. So the gut is foundational, and uh, thank you for reemphasizing that. For us, Dr. Bradstreet, we are going to take a brief break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please visit Dr. Bradstreet's website, www.drbradstreet.org or drbradstreet.com. We want to thank this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism, and its fast-forward technology. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Every child with autism deserves a voice, but for many, using words and language to express themselves is one of the most difficult parts of their day. Fast Forward is an online program that was developed by leading neuroscientists to help these children find their voice. Fast Forward targets the foundational language and processing skills your child needs to become a successful communicator and proficient reader. Get started with Fast Forward at home today. Visit BrainProLearning.com or call 855-308-1362 to learn more. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter, and migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Dr. James Jeffrey Bradstreet. And before the break, Dr. Bradstreet, we were talking about mast cells. And I know you've also studied fluid around the brain. You've also seen that. Can you tell us how what we were talking about before relates to the fluid around the brain? 
So a fascinating series of research observations within the last year approximately have taken place. Um, the Mind Institute, which does some incredible work with autism under the leadership of David Amaral, has been looking at fluid accumulation from very early in postnatal life. So kids that are six to nine months old, following them through sequentially up until three years of age. And what they did was a, a, a fascinating study where they looked at children who already had a family member, an older sibling with autism. So now we have a new baby. And obviously that mom, dad, they're going to be much more concerned. They're going to be more fastidious. But they looked at those kids in a um, serial study where they did MRI scans. So they actually imaged the brain of kids. And actually, uh, what's interesting, David Amaral came up with this technique where you could basically feed the baby, wrap them tightly in a blanket. They're all warm and cozy. You stick them in an MRI scanner, and they don't even need sedation, which is, was brilliant. It's just a simplistic, nice way to scan young kids without any sort of sedation. Um, they were very successful at getting um, great images. And what they observed, it's a small study, and it's being replicated with a larger group, and I haven't heard back from Dr. Amaral whether or not they finished the, the subsequent study. But very interesting observations. A very high predictive rate for kids by nine months of age who had extra fluid around their brain, who by three years of age, that fluid didn't go away. Even by two years of age, if that fluid had not gone away, that very often predicted the future diagnosis of autism. In the kids that had normal fluid um, around the brain, none of those kids went on to develop autism. <clears throat> so while it's not 100% showing at risk of developing autism, it's very suspicious. What does it really mean? Well, we took it a step further and tried to simplify that process a little bit, and we looked at older kids, but we also looked at younger siblings. So we have kids from 1 all the way through 18 um, that we evaluated with ultrasound. Now, the, the one-year-olds, we haven't followed long enough to know if they're ever going to develop autism or not, but the one-year-old siblings that appeared at least to be neurotypical and developing properly did not have increased fluid around their brain. The um, siblings with autism, regardless of age, whether they were three years old, five years old, or 10 years old, all had increased fluid. And so we extended the observations from Amaral's group at the Mind Institute to say that when we look with ultrasound, we can actually look actively through the, the thin plate of bone in the temporal region of the brain. We can look right at the brain and measure fluid accumulation. And if it appears to be significantly increased, that correlates with both the severity of autism and it also, when it's not increased, correlates with a good outcome. And we've now been doing this for over six months and we can correlate resolution of that fluid with recovery from autism. And I don't mean recovery in the sense of getting normal, but where you start to see some fairly dramatic improvement in the child's ability to speak, to relate socially, to develop eye contact, as we do various sort of immunological interventions to see that fluid go away is a good sign. So that's, that's really fascinating. We published those observations in Frontiers in Human Neuroscience in January, and it's been phenomenal. It's, it's had a huge number of hits from scientists, um, very unusual number of downloads, which for a scientific article, it's, it's been wonderful to see that. And then we're going to be presenting that research and extending that research at IMFAR, which is the International Meeting for Autism Research here in Atlanta, 
um, we were accepted for um, presentation there. So that was kind of a nice little coup as well. Yes. That was groundbreaking research, so naturally it should be at MFAR. And Dr. Bradstreet, um, with regard to your research with professors uh, Ruggiero and Piccini, this sounds like theoretically, and you've alluded to this, theoretically it can help us with determining efficacy of other treatments. I think it may be helpful as a monitoring device. It's very simple. It's, It's painless for the child doesn't require um, any sort of sedation. We use the same sort of ultrasound uh, probe that we would use in musculoskeletal type of diseases to look right at the brain. Um, the frequencies and the exposure time are very safe. And we, we're not yet there, but there's some research from Rosario's group in, uh, in Italy that would indicate that this may even be therapeutic for autism as well. And that's a study that we hope to get underway with sometime in the next 6 to 12 months. But to get back to the the link to mast cells in this fluid and what it may mean, so if you tie together the work from um, Theo Haridi's group at Tufts saying that mast cells are a problem and there's this kind of inflammatory reaction, the meninges are the covering of the brain. They help to create some of that fluid. The meninges are very much like the skin in your body and like the lining of the intestinal tract. They are a barrier of defense. And they have, for that reason, a lot of immune cells, including mast cells, within that um, layer of covering the brain. If mast cells are fragile in your skin or mast cells are fragile in your GI tract, chances are very good the mast cells and the meninges are going to get that same signal, and they're going to become reactive, inflamed, and cause leaking of blood vessels around the brain and immune chemistry to leak into that space. So that is, I think, a very important observation that starts to bring this observation of too much fluid around the brain together with what we know about immune dysregulation, and it's creating some very important targets for therapeutic intervention for autism. Wow, absolutely. Let's also talk, please, about GCMAF. What is that, and what did the researchers in Florence observe? Well, it's a fascinating molecule, and there's a lot of research ongoing with that molecule right now in a variety of areas from cancer to autism. So GCMAF is actually a um, modified version of the vitamin D binding protein. And so now we're back to vitamin D regulation again. So this is the protein that normally carries vitamin D around through your body. It's a protein that's created by the liver. But there's a special little twist that makes the vitamin D binding protein also the GCMAF molecule. And that's a single step of glycosylation where a sugar molecule gets put into just the right part of the the vitamin D binding protein, now it's activated in a way where it can regulate macrophages and microglial cells. So um, we know that microglial cells and macrophages have the GCMAF receptor on them, and that became very intriguing. But GCMAF does more than just regulate macrophages and microglial cells. The research that's going to be presented in Infar by Ruggiero's group, and I'm happy to be a part of this research, also indicates that it improves the connections of neurons. And we're in the process right now of calculating the rate of growth of dendritic, which are neuronal connections, but dendritic connections between neurons exposed to GCMAF in laboratory studies at the University of Florence. So this is a very exciting area where we think we can actually start to repair neural networks with this type of molecule. And it helps to explain why vitamin D deficiency may be part of the whole risk factor for autism as well. 
Incredible. This is really groundbreaking, Dr. Bradstreet. We've also uh, heard about some dramatic results that you saw in Dubai with uh, GCMAF. Well, um, so GCMAF has now been used by physicians all over the world. There were doctors, there was a meeting about GCMAF in Dubai, and it wasn't just about autism. It was about GCMAF as its potential therapeutic application to cancer, chronic fatigue syndrome, and a variety of other conditions. And at this conference, there were about 100 physicians in attendance, and many of them had used GCMAF in autism. They were from all over the Middle East, Australia, China, um, South America, North America, Europe. So it was very exciting for us to all be able to come together and kind of discuss the observations that we've seen. And every one of them was seeing um, really what can only be described as dramatic improvement in a significant population of kids with autism. Now, that does not mean that all children with autism respond to GCMAF, but many of them do. In fact, um, the consensus of the physician panel was that most of them do, and that of the ones that do respond favorably, at least half of them are dramatic responders. And within that population, um, numerous kids that were in, in the kind of the 50% of dramatic responder group were going on to lose their label and um, mainstream and, you know, seemingly live normal lives, which is very exciting. Are you, having, are you hearing of dramatic response or good or significant response even among children who were previously considered non-responders? What do you mean by non-responders? Mean they didn't respond to other forms of intervention? Now they're responding to GCMAF, or what do you mean by that? Let me um, just put it in these terms: you're getting wows with children who previously weren't getting wows from much else. Yeah, we do see that. It's, if if you um, gave, um, if you just started to rate various interventions like intravenous immunoglobulin, hyperbaric oxygen. Uh, gluten casein free diets, um, ecosystem change for you know probiotics, etc., melatonin, those kinds of things. Of all the things that we've used, um, GCMAF and vitamin D in combination seem to be giving us more impressive results than just about anything else that we've done in the immunological repair side. So, yeah, I think it's an amazing molecule. It needs a lot more research. Um, we are just submitted. And a very interesting article about GCMAF being able to regulate the transcription of the endocannabinoid 2 receptor. Now, what on earth, on earth is the, the CB2 receptor, and what does it have to do with anything? So um, the cannabinoid receptors in the body, there's two types, one and two. One is primarily in the neurological system, and two is primarily in the immunological system. And these are natural receptors that look for special types of fatty acid substances, many of which are made by the bacteria in the GI tract, to regulate their responses. So the immune system is actually tied into the gut ecosystem by the, uh, endo, the cannabinoid 2 receptor, or the endocannabinoid system. So what we did was we, we took um, uh, immune cells from children with autism, cultivated them in the laboratory at um, the University of Naples in Italy, and then we exposed those immune cells from children with autism to GCMAF. We also took immune cells from kids that were neurotypical and exposed them to GCMAF, and we measured the changes in the CB2 receptor function, which means we're measuring how 
these cells are transcribing the receptor and regulating their function. GCMAF normalized CB2 function, and we had previously published, and you can go to PubMed and find this, the fact that um, CB2 function in autism was abnormal. So we published that in the Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders in November of 2013. So we know that that's an important area of dysregulation, and what it really means is we think we've tied in and found, and I don't want to be overly you know, optimistic, but it looks like we may have found how the gut ecosystem is contributing to the immune system dysregulation in autism, and we think it's linked into this um, CB2 receptor on immune cells. Wow, this is a big deal, and you are tying things together. And right before we go to break, um, when you... When we hear the terms GCMAF and we hear the term GOLAIC, uh, what is the similarity or difference? They're both GCMAF. Um, GOLAIC is a made-up term that just is the GCMAF molecule with oleic acid added to a specific part of the molecular domain to mimic the way GCMAF would normally travel in the body, which is bound to a fat substance as well as um, the protein that would naturally be produced by the liver. Okay. Thank you for uh, informing our listeners of that. And we are going to take a brief break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and its Fast Forward Technology. Please visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Every child with autism deserves a voice, but for many, using words and language to express themselves is one of the most difficult parts of their day. Fast Forward is an online program that was developed by leading neuroscientists to help these children find their voice. Fast Forward targets the foundational language and processing skills your child needs to become a successful communicator and proficient reader. Get started with Fast Forward at home today. Visit BrainProLearning.com or call 855-308-1362 to learn more. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. James Jeffrey Bradstreet. You can visit his website at www. DrBradStreet.org or DrBradStreet.com, and we are having a fascinating conversation. Dr. Bradstreet, before the break, um, you had briefly mentioned uh, probiotics, and I wanted to ask you about a probiotic we've heard about recently, which is called Bravo. Can you tell us about that? Was that also done by a team in Europe? Yeah, so that's a that's a very interesting uh, bit of research. So 
what some scientists were attempting to do at the University of Florence, and this is primarily from uh, Professor Passini, is they were they were looking to try and see if there is a, a way to manufacture GCMAF non without using human resources. In other words, not having to use any sort of blood-derived product. So they looked at a variety of different systems. This was about two years in the making, and they found that bovine colostrum, which is normally very resistant to fermentation, through a series of bacterial reactions could be converted, at least in part, into the GCMAF molecule. So that was a fascinating bit of observation that something that's a normal constituent of dairy-like colostrum um, could actually be fermented further into the active form of the GCMAF molecule. Very interesting. So it's basically yogurt. It's a, it's a fancy yogurt, and it's a, it's a rather complicated yogurt to make in your own kitchen. But if you do go to my blog, or you can go to bravoprobiotic.com, the blog is dr for Dr. drbradstreet.org, there's some nice descriptions on how to actually make this stuff. Um, and I, I make it myself. I consume it myself. Um, I think it's fascinating. So it's a, it has 42 different strains of organisms, and it, in the fermentation process, it's not only just, it's not just making um, a bit of GCMAF for your intestinal tract, it's, and that's not human GCMAF, but it still seems to be effective. It's also making a lot of fermentation products, which are those fatty acids to regulate the endocannabinoid system. So, I think it's amazing, and I think that fermented foods have been associated with health for a long time, probably because of these bacterial metabolites. We know as an example that sauerkraut prevents influenza. Who knew? I mean, until recently. Um, And there's been a lot of work on other sort of things like um, using uh, probiotics to treat inflammatory bowel disease and and a a variety of different um, uh, research that's out there. The question is, what's the mechanism? And, I, and we think we found that mechanism through the EC receptors. Um, so this is kind of an interesting area where just nutrition may be enough. Um, using fermented foods may be enough to really start to re-regulate the immune system. Wow, good information. You've been mentioning, Dr. Bradstreet, the endocannabinoid system, and you've done research related to the use of medical cannabis and autism. So can you please elaborate further uh, about this and how cannabidiol has been helpful with symptoms of autism and related conditions? Okay, well, to be clear, I've not done any research on medical cannabis at all, um, but I'm very much aware of it. You know, I practice in California. I know lots of parents that have sought that sort of uh, care for their kids, and I've observed the changes in the children. I wouldn't call that research, though. So, no, no, no. I said research related. related right, I'll get there. I'll get you there. I'll, don't worry about that. <clears throat> so, what I, you know, in those families, uh, you know, I've seen kids with uh, chronic seizure disorders where the seizures are greatly abated, if not completely stopped, through the use of uh, medical marijuana. Um, and I think that it's, it's a fascinating area of research. The one concern that I have in, with marijuana is the, the ability to regulate the amount of THC. That tetrahydrocannabinol is the, the kind of get-you-high kind of portion of the molecule, and that needs to be at very low levels uh, or not at all in the, in the therapeutic process. Um, so I'm optimistic that as we start to open up our thinking about um, cannabinoids, and there's at least 40 different cannabinoids that are naturally occurring in plants, that we'll start to find some very useful molecules for a variety of conditions 
including autism. I'm very specifically interested in cannabidiol, which is a non-psychoactive cannabinoid. And it's, cannabidiol is one of those 40 different uh, cannabinoids that are out there. This one, however, attaches primarily to the CB2 immune receptor on cells. It doesn't have very much activity on um, the CB1, which is the, the brain activity. So if you want to just target inflammatory changes, if you want to re-regulate the immune system, this might be a very effective way to do that. If you, as an example, go to clinicaltrials.gov and you type in cannabidiol, you'll see a, a lot of research that's going on in things like um, inflammatory bowel disease and seizure disorders and schizophrenia and other sorts of things. Nobody's really looking at it specifically in autism yet, but I think that's coming very soon. So um, I think that we're, we're starting to see that um, a lot of roads are leading back together and they're leading through immune system regulation, through mast cells, through glial cells, through macrophages, but largely I think we're going to see it tied into this very important receptor. That's what it sounds like. And a listener wanted me to ask you about leucovorin. So first, can you please tell listeners about cerebral folate deficiency? Sure. So um, there's been a variety of research um, with um, kind of early on with severe cerebral folate deficiency presenting with profound autism and seizure disorders. That kind of then emerged to open the door to looking at cerebral folate. And we're talking about the, the vitamin folic acid when we say folate. So there are receptors in the brain that look to folic acid um, to help to regulate their function. That's why um, folate deficiency in pregnancy is so important as a potential risk factor for um, child developmental neurological disorders. Um, so it appears that um, a very significant percentage of kids with autism make antibodies to their folate receptors in the brain. With that, their ability to use folic acid from the diet is impaired. And as such, they need much higher doses of, of dietary, dietary folic acid than what they can get through ordinary supplementation. So even if you take you know, a common folic acid supplement, you're not going to get to the kind of levels that the brain is really looking for in the presence of this autoimmune disorder where the folate receptors are being targeted by the body's immune system. In that situation, you need very high doses of um, folic acid. And we find that folinic acid, which is um, represented as it's one of the, it's a form, leucovorin is a form of folinic acid, or methylfolate are actually required to be able to give you um, that kind of repair, but huge doses. We're talking about doses that are not nutritional. They're really um, pharmaceutical doses. Leucovorin is a prescription form of folinic acid. Normally, we would use that in medicine as part of chemotherapy rescue. We would poison the folic acid system to kill you know, your leukemia cells, and then we would rescue you back with uh, leucovorin. Every doctor knows about that kind of therapy. We're using doses that are as high as what we would use in chemo rescue, but we're using it to try and get uh, levels into the brain that can actually get past this um, autoimmune disorder. And uh, how can uh, how can someone who's interested in finding out whether their child has cerebral folate deficiency 
uh, go about this? How would they find an enlightened practitioner or further information? I mean, the, you know, the gold standard is still a spinal tap and send levels off to a, a typically it's a university research laboratory that can actually measure um, the, uh, the levels of methylfolate in the spinal fluid. Not very many families really want to go through that. So, and um, it's, I may be wrong with this, but the, the one laboratory that we had was uh, Dr. Quadros is a professor Quadros' lab at the University, State University of New York that was measuring that. I don't think we actually have a lab that's routinely measuring, commercially anyway, uh, folate-related antibodies at this point in time. So we don't have easy access to that, to the best of my knowledge. Um, so what many of us are doing is using a therapeutic trial of relatively high-dose folinic acid or methylfolate to see if the children will respond to that. And it's a very simple thing to do. Um, you titrate the dose up slowly. You can see some hyperactivity early on in that. Um, usually, if you just kind of go slow with the titration schedule, you can get past the hyperactivity. And then um, high-dose folic acid and folinic acid has been studied as very safe with relatively no risk. I mean, it's described as potential risk of seizures, but honestly, um, in most of the studies, um, there's no increased risk of seizures. If you do have seizures, that's something that you'd want to work with your um, neurologist to kind of work through that whole process of how to do that. But if you do have a seizure disorder and autism and and you have a, a thinking neurologist that you can actually talk to, Suggest the possibility of doing a spinal tap and actually getting methylfolate levels and seeing where your, your kid actually is at. That might be meaningful in some cases and, and can be dramatically restorative in some children. And we always do advise listeners that when you are embarking upon any uh, significant biomedical regimen or changing an existing biomedical regimen, please do consult with your uh, experienced healthcare provider who uh, provides medical oversight for yours or your uh, relative's overall uh, biomedical program. And this seems like a good time to take a break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You can visit Dr. Bradstreet's website during the break at www.drbradstreet.org or drdrbradstreet.com. Thank you to this program's sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and its Fast Forward Technology, and you can visit them at www.brainprolearning.com. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Every child with autism deserves a voice, but for many, using words and language to express themselves is one of the most difficult parts of their day. Fast Forward is an online program that was developed by leading neuroscientists to help these children find their voice. Fast Forward targets the foundational language and processing skills your child needs to become a successful communicator and proficient reader. Get started with Fast Forward at Home today. Visit BrainProLearning.com or call 855-308-1362 to learn more. Your health is your greatest gift. So what decisions are you making to support your health and well-being today? Your overall state of health is a reflection of the habits you create in your daily life. Do you know what it takes to live a truly preventative lifestyle? Listen for Reclaim Your Health. 
with host Dr. Maggie Luther. We'll show you how to add health into your life every day to prevent chronic disease. What's more, we'll help you optimize your health and live a more fulfilled life. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We are back with Dr. James Jeffrey Bradstreet. You can find him at www.drbradstreet.com or drbradstreet.org. Dr. Bradstreet, something that is a particular area of interest for you lately is MRT, magnetic resonant therapy. What is that? Uh, it's, uh, it's more than a particular interest. I'm the principal investigator on the controlled study that's currently ongoing. Um, it's a form of transcranial magnetic stimulation. So um, throughout the literature, you'll see the sprinkling of research on autism and the potential use of uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Some of that work has come from Professor Casanova at the um, University of Lexington in Kentucky, uh, or excuse me, the University of Louisville in Kentucky. He's done some very nice work with that. But there's a lot of... Uh, interest in this modality from England, from Harvard, from other researchers. Uh, my particular interest in it is using a, a format of transcranial magnetic stimulation known as MRT or magnetic resonant therapy. And what this is derived from is Professor Jen from the University of California in Irvine had some different theories about how the brain organizes and exchanges information. And he looked at some specific harmonics of one particular rhythm in the brain that regulates the visual cortex and looked at that as a potential carrier frequency or kind of a linking harmonic for the brain. It's a little bit like when you look at your cell phone to see how many bars you have. You know, if you're in a good cell phone area, you'll have four or five bars and you know you're going to be able to talk and get good, clear reception. But... It seems like many areas of the brain in autism are kind of at the margin of connectivity or outside of cell phone range, to use that analogy. So the theory is by using strong magnetic impulses that are acting at at brain harmonic frequencies, we can bring the brain into synchronization. Now, we are almost finished with our recruiting for the study. It's been going on for the last three months, and it, it literally takes of my time, probably 20 hours a week, but we have a full-time study coordinator, um, prof- uh, Professor Tony Jen is here with us, um, and it's, it's a lot of work, but it's been amazing. We've had now um, quite a few kids that have completed the study. The study is divided into two arms. There's a first five-week series where half of the children are getting uh, placebo treatment, sham treatment. It looks like they're getting treatment. It sounds like they're getting treatment, but there's no magnetic pulsing that's taking place from the machine. And the other half of the kids are actually getting treatment. At the five-week mark, we switch everybody into open treatment, so we know that everybody is getting treatment for the last five weeks. So um, it's a 10-week study that has, at the end of that, another two-week observation period. We do multiple assessments throughout that study. Um, And what we're observing is some, and we'll have to wait for the final analysis and statistics and those kind of things, but we appear to be observing 
some very significant reductions in overall scores. So we've had this, you know, we, the kids who've completed the study, some of them have gone from car scores in the mid-30s to the lower 40s, um, all the way down to the range that doesn't even qualify for the diagnosis of autism in the course of 12 weeks. Wow. That's pretty, pretty dramatic. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. Um, you know, it's kind of a rough guess is it probably happens about half the time, but that's still a pretty dramatic intervention for that population of children. We'll know more. We will be finished. We hope to be finished by Autism One. So I hope to give you, and Dr. Jen, I know, hopes to give you um, some of the actual statistical analysis of our data by Autism One. So that's another good reason to attend that conference. Right, and that's in May. Uh, are there any spots still available in your clinical trial? Um, we are basically with the, the kids that are on my schedule to evaluate in the next week, we're full. Okay. Uh, and after you uh, retrain the brain in this matter, then the brain is ready to be taught educational skills at the uh, then proper developmental level. Yeah, it's a little bit like if you buy a new computer. So when you go out, you know, you, you go to your local computer store, you go online, you buy a new computer, you got your fancy new hardware, but it has an operating system, but it doesn't have any software. You may have, you have to buy programs, and you have to put material into those programs, and it's kind of like that. So, you, you know, you have, if the MRT works the way we hope it's working, you, it's sort of like having a new computer, but you still have to program all of that. If your child's not been talking for the last five years, they need to be taught. They need to be encouraged. They need to be, you know, given the proper therapeutics. If they're not processing language and not reading properly, they need to go through uh, appropriate therapeutics to to really stimulate those areas of the brain. So it's, it's sort of like having a baby brain all over again. You have to start to build those connections. Okay. You use some good analogies. Uh, we've got a fancy new operating system and, yeah, I'll say shiny new hardware. What's the safety record of MRT? So MRT um, has some very defined limitations on the parameters of exposure to magnets um, that the FDA has established. Um, that's called the train, just like a Thomas the Tank Engine train. So the train is the amount of magnetic exposure in units of time, power, percentage of motor threshold, which is how much magnet it takes to actually cause your muscles to contract, so we define our trains as very substantially below the motor threshold at a harmonic that we only give for six seconds out of one minute, and then we'll wait 54 seconds and then six seconds again. We do that for 30 minutes with six-second pulses. That level of exposure to the magnet has never been associated with adverse outcomes. Now, um, serious adverse outcomes. Having said that, we do see some temporary increase in hyperactivity, self-stimulatory behavior in the first one to two weeks. Um, we think that's related to rises in stimulation of dopamine levels. Um, that usually fades, and the kids tend to calm down afterwards. But I've seen some kids who stay fairly self-stimulated throughout the course of our observations and the research. And then when we stop, they're like, all of a sudden, like, the lights came on and amazing things start to happen for them. So that's, it's been a very interesting observation. Wonderful. And um, where can listeners look for more information about this and about the other things that you've told us about and in general? So 
Um, I think my blog is a great kind of a starting place for a lot of things. That's the drbradstreet.org location. But they can also go on um, Vimeo, which is kind of uh, an Internet video location. Let me get you a, a good location. So you can go to Vimeo, which is V, like Victor, I-M-E, like Edward O, and then that's .com, and then look at Brain Treatment Center forward slash videos, and you should be able to find some interesting things there. All right. And Dr. Bradstreet also has uh, chapters in the new edition of Cutting Edge Therapies for Autism published by Skyhorse. So you can pre-order that on Amazon and uh, read more about this fascinating work. Well, Dr. Bradstreet, I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us today to share your exciting, fascinating, and hopeful information to help children. It's my pleasure and always. And when does that new article come out, the new book come out, Terry? In the spring, soon. Okay, very good. I'm looking forward to that. And thank you for all your hard work, and thank you for all the good work that Autism One does every year. Oh, thank you for mentioning that, and, and so much for coming and, uh, and being there to share your information and meet people, meet uh, our attendees. And to our listeners, Dr. Bradstreet will be speaking multiple times at the Autism One 2014 conference, including the Saturday Scientific Keynote Panel with uh, Drs. Ruggiero and Jen. You can register at www.autismone.org. Please visit Dr. Bradstreet's websites at www.drbradstreet.org. That's drbradstreet.org, www.drbradstreet.com as well. And thank you to this program sponsor, Scientific Learning's Brain Pro Autism and its Fast Forward Technology. You can find them at www.brainprolearning.com. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.